Listener Production. Hello and welcome to The Briefing. Jan Fran here with you. And on today's show, we've got Katy Perry coming into the studio. Yep, you heard right, Katy Perry herself. We'll be chatting to Tom a little bit later in the show, although I should stress, it's not Katy Perry, the pop star. A little bit later, you're going to meet Australian designer Katy Perry, who actually stood up to some strong legal intimidation from the pop star Katy Perry and, spoiler alert, won. I cried. I burst in tears. (laughs) I thought I was going to lose everything. Then I went to see a lawyer. I'd never had to deal with lawyers before. And he sat me down and said, yep, you've got a great case, but unless you have $20,000 in the bank, you aren't going to be able to win this. Yeah, so in this episode of the show, you're going to hear from Katie uh, and the legal turmoil that she went through for a good decade. Um, In this episode of The Briefing, the tale of two women, two teenage dreams and one name. That's how the judge described this David and Goliath battle of the trademark between the two Katies. That's coming up a little bit later in the show. But first, to some headlines with Antoinette Latouf, who I very rarely get to host this show with. How are you going? I know. And we are a bit of a tale of two women ourselves. Like, fun fact, Jan and I have been friends for years and years. And you may remember that movie, like, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. I've been working on, like, How to Lose Jan Fran as a friend for 18 <laughs> years. Like, How to Lose a Friend in 18 Years. And it hasn't bloody worked. <laughs> well, I mean, the night is young. It could happen. <laughs> any day now, Antoinette. Don't you worry about that. And it is Thursday, the 4th of May. There's been a school shooting in Serbia. A 13-year-old opened fire in central Belgrade, killing eight children and a guard. Police say six other students and a teacher have been injured while the gunman is now in custody and his parents have also been arrested. Jan, when I first saw this headline, I just assumed, I'm like, oh, another school shooting in the US because this sort of thing doesn't happen in Serbia that often. No, I mean, certainly to the US, it's it's comparatively rare because the country does have strict gun laws, but gun ownership in Serbia is among the highest in Europe. Um, And this teenager is alleged to have used his father's guns, um, both of which had legal permits. Um, He was said to have gone to a shooting range with his father uh, more than once before the killings. Um, He's also going to be, well, he'll likely be sent to a psychiatric clinic. Um, This is because under Serbian law, he can't be held criminally responsible because he's under the age of 14. Yeah, and we're yet to learn uh, what exactly the parents uh, are charged with. But yeah, I'm keen to know how and if they're involved. And back home in Australia, some new data out showing mortgage affordability plummeted to its worst level since September, get this, 1990. So the average buyer would need to spend more than 45% of their household income. That's huge just to afford... The median mm. house cost, this is according to uh, beta share modelling, um, that's worse than the GFC crisis in 2008, which was sitting at 42% of household income needed to afford buying a home. God, I hate these stories. I know, and it does feel like we're constantly talking about it and it's constantly bad news. But I mean, these figures being the worst since the 1990s, when we had that recession, it is affecting so many people, Jan. And if like most mortgage holders like today, they went into a bank, they'd be knocked back 
based on what their repayments would be and their income. And so I guess you could, that gives you a bit of an idea of uh, for an aspiring buyer, they have like little to no hope of, of now getting into into the market based on that mortgage stress and the high repayments. Yeah, you're just going to have to go and get a loan from the bank of mum and dad if you're fortunate enough to have that, which a lot of people are not. So the size of paracetamol packets in Australia are going to be reduced by up to half, and this is in a bid to prevent the number of overdoses. So after a review, the pharmaceutical regulator decided supermarkets will only be allowed to sell a maximum of 16 tablets as opposed to 20. And for pharmacies, they can sell 50 without the supervision from a chemist, but the limit has previously been 100. So these new rules are coming into force in February 2025. Basically, it's in an effort to reduce painkiller overdoses, which, if you didn't know, Mm. are definitely a thing in Australia. 50 Australians die every Mm. year um, from intentional paracetamol overdose. Most of them are young people, but way more than that get hospitalised each year. So that's what the TGA is hoping to tackle by, by this move. Universities are creating more courses on artificial intelligence, cybersecurity and health. And at the same time, they're dropping languages. 18 bachelor degrees have been cut in Victoria and New South Wales. Japanese, Chinese and Italian languages at Swinburne University, as well as Indonesian at La Trobe Uni and the University of Western Sydney. They've been cut and they're among the language course closures since 2019. Um, but Jan, up until 2021, languages were considered a, a national priority. Well, yeah, there were certain languages that were considered of national strategic importance, right? So um, if you think of Asian languages like Indonesian, some of the Chinese languages, Cantonese, Mandarin, that sort of Mm. thing, as just a way of being able to reach out to our neighbours in Asia. Um, And because they were considered that, uh, the Commonwealth would uh, go into agreements with universities, sometimes fund these courses. Anyway, up until, yeah, about 2021, Um, that was sort of no longer the case. They stopped sort of being considered as nationally, strategically as important. I will say that the decline in people taking up languages is something that's been happening for um, way longer than just a few years. I mean, a decade Mm. here in Australia. And it's something that is mirroring uh, what's been happening overseas as well. There's just not as great an uptake in languages at universities as there once was and a far greater Mm. uptake in new and emerging degrees and sciences and um, academic platforms like cybersecurity, like data, um, like all of those things. I think learning those things, AI and cybersecurity, absolutely important. But I just think historically, Australia has really sucked at caring about languages. Like we've never prioritised it, even at school, whether it's the preservation of Indigenous languages or what's even, you know, the couple of hours a term that kids learn languages in school. Like my kids are learning French at school. I remember I learned a bit of German and no shade at these European languages. But elsewhere, it's far more embedded in early education curriculum. And we just, I just feel in Australia, we're really quite lazy about, we don't really have much of an appetite to learn global languages. Mate, we speak English here in Australia, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And the Greens deputy leader is launching court action against Pauline Hanson. Maureen Faruqi is accusing the One Nation leader of breaching racial discrimination laws over what she says is a humiliating tweet. So last year, uh, Hanson tweeted, we're not going to repeat the tweet. Mm. Um, But she sort of said something along the lines of, go back to where you came from. 
um, to the senator who is originally from Pakistan. Yeah, and Maroon Faruqi first tried to lodge a complaint with the Australian Human Rights Commission, uh, but the decision decided that conciliation, not going to happen. So then the Green Deputy's leader, uh, now she wants Hanson to make $150,000 in a donation to a charity and to publish a new tweet saying that, yeah, it was offensive and that she used offensive language. Mm, it's funny. It's like it's not the only lawsuit One Nation's facing. Um, that's obviously happening federally, but here mm-hmm. in New South Wales, there's uh, a possible defamation suit on the cards against Mark Latham for an incredibly homophobic tweet that he put out that we shan't mm-hmm. be repeating. So not a good time for One Nation being sued over things that they say. All right, that is it for our headlines today. Tom is up next in the studio with, yeah, Katy Perry. So last week, a federal court judge ended a long, expensive and painful legal fight between Australian fashion label Katy Perry and the US pop star Katy Perry. The court ruled the pop star had infringed on the Australian trademark in a number of ways and it also ruled out a cross-claim from the US pop star that could have put the Aussie brand out of business. In the briefing studio with us, we have the Australian Katy Perry. Katy Perry, thank you so much for joining us on The Briefing. We know who the other Katy Perry is, but who is this one? Who are you? Who am I? Great question, Tom. I am the Australian designer. I am a mum with two little kids. And most importantly, I've got a fashion business called Katy Perry. So an Australian mother of two kids, you've got your own fashion label. It's not huge household name like... I don't know, Camilla or Mark or something, you actually sell your clothes online and at the Rocks Markets in Sydney. We're not talking about a big fashion conglomerate here, are we? No, that's correct. We're talking about a small business. All right. So take us back to the start of this whole fight with the Katy Perry. She actually started it. Tell us about that. That's correct. Started a long time ago, back in 2009. So I had applied for the trademark for Katy Perry under clothes and was then sent a cease and desist letter. It was a few nights after I'd just had my showroom opening, so I was surrounded by empty champagne bottles and opened this very thick envelope to read the words cease and desist, stop sale of your clothes, stop your website, stop any advertising material, otherwise this is going to go to the Supreme Court. Had you heard of Katy Perry, the pop star? By that stage, I had. But to be honest, I actually bought one of her songs because I was trying to support her. And I thought, great, there's another Katy Perry. I'll show my support by buying one of her songs, even though it's not my type of music, (laughs) and have never listened to the song since. But it was my way of supporting another woman. Which song was it? I believe it was I Kissed a Girl. So you get this big letter. What did you do next? I cried. I burst in tears. I thought I was going to lose everything. Then I went to see a lawyer. I'd never had to deal with lawyers before. And he sat me down and he said, yep, you've got a great case, but unless you have $20,000 in the bank, you aren't going to be able to win this. Walked away, cried a bit more. At that stage, I just opened my showroom. I was working Paddington Markets. I was working two jobs. You know, I didn't have Mm. a spare $20,000 to fight this legal case. So what'd you do? Through a mentor, the Australian newspaper heard about it and I realised that I would get a lot of media support and that was the support that I needed. 
the other side hated that I was getting so much media. It was then a long process of me getting pro bono lawyers. Then I, at one point, actually got rid of them and decided I was going to do it myself, which seems kind of crazy. (laughs) Looking back, I just remember having folders and folders of documents and reading through them. So you became a bit of an expert in trademark law? I did at that time. And then through the power of social media, someone in England had read about what was happening to me and she put me in touch with this incredible lawyer in Sydney. She helped me. Are you still trying to sell your clothes at this point? Because you'd already invested money in building this brand. Did you keep going with your business or did you pause? No, I had to. I mean, I'm all self-funded and this is my livelihood. I remember going back Paddington Markets, there I was on Saturdays and people would be talking about it and, you know, kind of pointing and whispering. And I even remember at one point my mum came and helped me because I was so exhausted from it all. And I just sat in the corner and again cried. And she's like, Katie, like you have to come out and sell your things. Everybody's here to to talk to you and support you. And I just was so exhausted from, you know, just the emotion of it all, not only having to deal with lawyers, but also the idea that I was going to lose my dream. You know, I've wanted to have my own fashion label since I was 11 years old. I've poured blood, sweat and tears into it. And anybody that has their own small business will understand just how much work it takes, particularly that startup phase. So I had to keep on growing the business and doing the markets because there was no other income coming in. But instead of taking up this fight, you could have just changed the name of your fashion label. You couldn't change your own name unless you did it by deed poll, but you could have changed the name of the label. Why didn't you? Because it was wrong. (laughs) Because one of my values is about justice and another one is about truth. And I had done what I was told to do, get your ABN, register your business name, get a trademark. I had done all those things and it was wrong that some overseas conglomerate can just come in and say, actually, we want you gone. That's not right. I hadn't done anything wrong and why should I have to change my name? Okay, so what did you do? Did they take you to court? So two hours before it was going to court, they just withdrew their opposition. So for me, I thought, great, I can just continue on building my business. Then what happened? Why why did you end up in the Supreme Court? Yes, yeah, so, but over all of that period, they knowingly breached my trademark. So right. I would get friends sending me pictures of, you know, pyjamas and Target with the brand Katy Perry and saying, is she allowed to do this? Because don't you have the trademark for it? And I'd say, yeah, I know she's breaching it, but I don't know what to do about it. I'm a small business. I've got, you know, young kids. And then through this incredible fortunate event, I was actually at a story slam and I was just sharing my story of what had happened to me. And one of the audience members was a fashion designer. And so she knows just how hard the industry is. And she put me in touch with her husband's cousin, who's a trademark lawyer. The next day was on a call with him. And he said, have you heard of litigation funding? Tom, have you heard of litigation funders? Well, I get the idea. Basically, people finance litigation, they think will get up. Exactly. And so luckily I was able to get the support of LCM and then start proceedings in 2019 against the star for breaching my trademark. Right. So she'd already backed out of her case, but then you took the fight to her. That's right. Okay. So how had she infringed on your trademark? I take it it was more than just her selling concert merch when she came out here or or was that even a problem for you? Yeah, it was concert merchandise. It was things in Target, in Maya, online stores. And the whole concept for me was like she knew about my trademark 
and mm. they never once approached me afterwards. She applied for a trademark and IP Australia said it is too close to mine. Because there's only two letters that are different in the name. There's one letter that's different. <laughs> <laughs> You're IE and she's a Y. Yes, two letters. But she knew about the trademark and it was more that they completely ignored it. They've ignored Australian law and that's important. Australian trademark law is here for a reason. It's to protect businesses. So did you want to, and, and have you stopped her from selling any merchandise here in Australia, or is it just when she expands out into the broader fashion market where you draw the line? No, at the moment, um, I mean, she's still breaching it, but the judge has now passed down an injunction. So for one of her entities, Kitty Perry, that they won't be able to sell any clothing under that Katy Perry because it's breaching my trademark. Right. So she can't sell any clothes here in Australia without breaching that injunction? Yes, correct. Under the Kitty Perry or Perry entity. What about Katy Perry merchandise for her concerts next time she tours? Can she sell that? This is when it starts getting murky for me. That would have to be a question probably more for lawyers. So to win this case, did you have to present evidence that she was damaging your revenue stream or eating into your market? No, it was more about showing my trademark and how I've used it over the, the period of time. And did she ever get personally involved in, in this dispute in any way? Yes, she did. What was her involvement? What did she say? I won't repeat the words that she said. Uh, you can easily Google them. Um, but, but she slammed you personally. Yes, she did. So during the court proceedings, it came out with emails that she had written to her manager slamming me, like you said. Right. Let's just say when I heard them for the first time in court, um, tears streamed down my face. So how do you feel about the whole situation now that you've taken the fight up to a US pop star and all the people working for her and won? Oh, I'm over the moon. I'm so excited. You know, it's a David and Goliath case and it just shows for everybody, if you're going through any situation where you're having to stand up for what you believe or stand up to a bully, you can do it. It won't be easy. But sometimes, you know, the hard thing to do is the right thing to do. And, you know, I'm a role model for my kids. So if they ever have a situation where they're having to stand up to a bully, I can say, you know, I did it. You can too. And beyond the principle of the matter, standing up for what you believe was right, what about on practical terms? How does this judgment change things for you and your business? Well, now I can really focus on the future. You know, if it had gone against me, they put a cross-claim against my trademark so what that means is I could have lost my entire business. So now I can focus on the future, I can continue building my brand, and I'm really excited about it. And the judge actually quoted some of her lyrics in the judgment. Clearly was not naive to some of her pop brilliance. How did you feel about the way the judge handled it? And were you ever worried that her star power would, would impact the case? Look, I had to rely on the fact that it's it's law and I do believe in justice and I had hoped that the judge wouldn't be swayed by, you know, the celebrity aspect of this case and she hasn't been and that's what's been great is that I can now know that my belief in justice and the Australian law has been backed. And is there anything else they might do? Are you worried about retaliation? Because you've clearly pissed them off if she's personally slamming you. Look, there is a chance for appeals, so I'm not completely out of the woods yet and we'll just wait to see. I haven't heard anything yet. And if people want to back this David versus Goliath by buying your stuff, 
and they can't make it to the rocks in Sydney, they can buy it online. That's right, katyperry.com.au. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen an uptick in sales? Has this been good for business? Because it's got you a lot of publicity. Look, it's got me a huge amount of publicity. Publicity doesn't always pay the bills. It has driven people to my website. I've got incredible messages of support, which has been amazing. That was Australian fashion designer Katy Perry, who is an absolute firework. Hear her roar. Oh,